You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Rona Siddiqui, welcome to Talking Theater Friends. I'm very excited to be talking to you today. So I, I don't think there's anyone really in, definitely not in New York and definitely not in the theater world who doesn't know A Strange Loop. But for those like two or three people who don't, do you want to tell them what the show's about and what oh. you do in it? <laughs> okay, so A Strange Loop is a musical about a fat black queer man who's writing a musical about a fat black queer man who's writing a musical about a fat black queer man, etc. cetera. <laughs> um, and it, it takes you through his uh, psychological journey as he is exploring. It's really, it's very meta and it's about one's own self-perception and where one fits within the communities that they, feel that they should be a part of, but maybe have been ostracized from. And you are the? I am the music director and music supervisor. Okay, so I love this show so much. Like, unfortunately, I didn't get to see it on Broadway, but I don't think that there's ever been anything even remotely close to Strangely on Broadway, like ever. So. I mean, this is like a very vague question, I guess, but like, how does it feel to be, you know, making history like every night when you're there with the, the orchestra and you're directing that, uh, that show that's so beautiful and so interesting, so uh, groundbreaking and so life-changing, I would say. I would agree with that. It's, it's, I feel extremely lucky to, to have been a part of this journey. I, um, I don't consider myself a music director. I am a writer first. And so when I take on music directing projects, I have to feel really strongly about them and about how they can inform me and my own writing process. And I admire Michael R. Jackson so much and, you know, read this script and was just like, oh, like you said, there's nothing else like this ever. And I said, this is either going to be the most spectacular flop you know, most panned, hated thing ever put up, or it will be game changing. And either way, I I want to be a part of this. Um, and then now, and I, I I honestly never could have imagined when we started developing this at Playwrights Horizons off Broadway that we would we would be here with 
a Pulitzer and a Tony and heading into the Grammys. And, you know, like this is, this year has been the most insane year of my life because of A Strange Loop. That's really fabulous though. Congratulations. Thank you. Are you excited about meeting anyone? As I'm like someone from E, I'm sorry, but are you excited about meeting anyone at the Grammys? <laughs> I mean, I, I'm just going in like Lizzo. I don't know. Like it would be a it would be amazing to meet, you know, any any fellow musicians and and people who are like at that level of the game would be would be insane. Uh, but even just you know the celebrities that have passed through um, the the show on Broadway has been crazy. You know, we had this this interview with Trevor Noah a couple of weeks ago, and I was just like, what is my life right now? <laughs> Sitting on a stage with Trevor Noah. I would call that the good life. So you already touched on the fact that you're a writer and a composer first. So I really wanted to ask you that, you know, because like technically, like I don't even really know the difference. Like, you know, what does it mean to you? Like, what is your work, so to speak, when you have your composer head on? And what's the job of a music director? Because I don't there's probably a lot of people who don't necessarily know that. Right. That that makes sense. Um, if you are the writer, composer, you're the creator. It's all coming from your own brain, and you're the one that's putting pen to paper, and and then it goes out into the ether, and other people interpret it and and uh, bring it to life. So that's the writer, and then the music director is the person who receives that the score, the dots on the page and then interprets them, figures out what, what they mean and how to get everybody around you to be on the same page with that interpretation. So the actors, the musicians, and even, you know, even your fellow creative team, the, the director and the choreographer may not understand certain things musically. And it's your job to say, oh, actually we have these measures here because they mean this. And so therefore maybe we could do this, you know, like, you know, and so it's that kind of conversation that's always going on. So one is creative, really creative, and one is more interpretive. How do you know when you've cracked the code, so to speak, like when you get, you know, to, work on a strange stuff, like how do you know where to start? Because it really sounds overwhelming, I would say. It totally is overwhelming. Like in the first um, developmental workshop I did, I didn't even have a lot of prep time. And I told Michael, I was like, I'm not gonna have a lot of time to do look at this before. So I'm really gonna be working on it as I'm teaching it with the working with the actors. And he's like, no problem. And so you're sitting there and you're hearing these words and they're they're honest and vulnerable and it could be perceived as offensive and you know and your 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 mind is spinning it's like how what is the intent here and then you have to stop and say okay if the intent is this how do we get here how do we make sure that the audience understands that this is the intent um and uh if that's really the fun part honestly you know and then you're trying things you're like okay this is we need to make this feel you know honest that that's the, the whole goal is the honest the honesty of it has to be the thing that carries us through and anytime you make a choice you're like oh you know it'd be really funny if we said this word like this and you try it and you're like no no it's cheap you know like and you can feel it and that's like if you're if your eye is always on the honest storytelling then you know when you've made a mistake <laughs> 
you know, and then you can just be like, erase, you know, try again. And what's it like then to compose something, you know, like you suddenly get that eureka moment where you start just like writing uh, something that came to you from the muses or, or whatever, like, is it, is music directing a little bit more liberating in the sense that, you know, maybe less stressful, like you don't have to be dealing with, you know, whether the muses is going to show up or not? I think, you know, as a, as a writer, we are trained that you kind of have to push through and not wait for the muse. Um, you know, if you have this belief that it's always in you or that you, you're allowed to write something crappy and that's kind of how you find the, the juice or find the, the real thing that you want to say, but you can't, you can't ever say, oh, well, today's not the day. You just still have to like power through and be like, I'm going to write something really bad today and that's going to be fine. And it leads you to the next thing. So there's something liberating about that. That's what's liberating. Not always saying what I have to write today and it has to be perfect. Um, and I definitely think there's more freedom for me in writing than in music directing, because at the end of the day in music directing, it's somebody else's vision and you're beholden to that. And so that's confining. And there's, there's some, there, it's, there's something fun about that too. And then, and I do enjoy that collaborative process, but it's, it's less like anything goes. So what would you say if there is such a thing as the traditional way of writing for you? What does it look like? Do you have any rituals that you follow? Do you work at a certain time of day? Uh, do you not work on, I don't know, like days that start with, I don't know, like F or M or something? I, um, I wish I were a morning person, Jose. I'm really, I'm really bad in the mornings. It's just like, I will just sit there and stare at my computer and drink coffee and play games on my phone and stuff, you know, and then there's meetings. And so like the early to midday is usually pretty bad. And then I kind of really get flowing and feel like I want to sit down at around, you know, five and I want to write in the evening and the night, which is difficult when you're music directing a show that performs at night. So I'll be like, I'm ready to write. Oops, time to get on the subway and go to a strange loop. You know? so It's been a little challenging while I've been doing strange loop, but I've been doing it. I've had deadlines. So it's just like, you don't feel like writing at 11 a.m., but you're going to, you know, it's just that thing. So. Something that I really love about, about a strange loop is that it really, uh, and I hope this makes sense. I feel like it really sonically captures what it's like to be in New York. Just this, like, you know, I don't know, like, I'm all kind of, I guess, of like genres and, like, obviously, you know, musical theater, but there's also like so many different genres that you bring in and not in like obvious ways, but just like little like moments here and there. And it does feel like you're just like walking in Times Square. So, how did you pull that up? You know, what were some of the things that you wanted to include to make sure that the show felt and sounded like New York City? Oh, that's such an interesting question. I, I kind of never thought of it in terms of, of New York specifically, but I think that's great because Michael has lived in New York for a very long time. And so his influences are coming from all different places. And 
and it takes place in New York. And there is a frenetic energy in New York. And there's also a frenetic energy in Usher's mind. The Usher is our protagonist. Um, so I think for me, rhythm is a thing that carries that through. Um, we have we had our uh, orchestrator Charlie Rosen write some create some really incredible parts. So you've got these kind of awesome grooves, and then you have different instruments that kind of come come and go or woven throughout. You've got you know saxophone, which everybody kind of I think uh, you know associates with that New York Times Square kind of sound, a Broadway sound. Um, and uh, there's moments where you have just like organ swells and you're just like, whoa, you know, and it's powerful um, and it propels you uh, and it makes you feel awe and fear, you know, like, and so all of those things are things that you feel uh, in New York. Uh, but I just think it has like the pacing of the show is fast. And I think that is probably the most, you know, the element that lends itself the most to feeling like New York. I was listening to that, and I think you notice the New York sound, especially when you are not in New York. So interesting. Yeah, I felt like I was in the subway. I mean, it definitely Uh, sets you up with intermission song. I mean, that it really feels, yeah, New York. Yeah. (laughs) So I was gonna say that exactly. Like you know, I I was like, okay, what a second. Did I suddenly just like show up in Times Square? But how did you know? How did you go into the path of, of music? When did you discover that music was your thing? Um, so when I was like four, my sister was six and started taking piano lessons. And she would just sit down, you know, practice her little thing, and then she would leave the piano. And then I would go to the piano and just play whatever she played. And my parents were just like, what? <laughs> you know, <laughs> so then they they started me in piano lessons at at four and I never look back. Nah. <laughs> so I don't know. I don't know why. It just I loved I loved music right out of the womb. It's like you kind of I mean is it fair to say or is this reductive to say that you communicate I guess through the piano like other things that you only know how to say with music that you wish you could say with with you know words? Mm. I think it's the uh, the most beautiful puzzle and challenge of my life is to is to use both words and music in conjunction to express things that otherwise couldn't be expressed. Um, it's my greatest joy to be able to try and do that. I love I lo- I love music and I love words so much. <laughs> like I'm also like a the most you know annoying word nerd person you know I love all the word games and stuff um so and then when one one can't suffice you can lean totally on the other or vice versa and it's just finding that like perfect balance all the time it's yeah it's awesome how do you know when you've got the piece that you're writing then like how do you know when everything just came together how do you not write the same piece forever because like you could be adding and you know removing and tinkering with it forever like how do you like wrap it and release it into the world I mean usually you have the help of other people around you that are saying it's time <laughs> you know or you 
when you share it and you see the reactions and or you get the feedback, it really is like I, I just don't I don't think I can just do it by myself in terms of knowing that. I, I definitely need the feedback of dramaturgs, directors, audiences, uh, smart friends to to say to me, yeah, you know, this this isn't working or this is working and you need to move it to the next level now. So it's a it's definitely a a group endeavor for me. Would you say that you discover new things about the show like every night when you're conducting? For sure, for sure. There's, I mean, even just like culturally, A Strange Loop is so rich. And there will be like words and phrases that will be like, wait, I thought this meant this. Wait, I thought this meant this. And then we're all like on our phones, like Googling, like what does, you know, this, you know, random thing mean? And it's, it's, it's super fun. Or somebody will say, oh, I, I interpreted this to mean that just the interpretations that people can walk away with for moments. Um, that's when you know you really have a great piece of art. You know, I mean, I've literally played the show 400 times, I would say, between, between off-Broadway, DC, and Broadway. It's got to be 400 times. And to still be able to discover things at this point is incredible. So if you just, like, play it, like, if you were, like, a sleepwalker, you totally play the show probably just from like muscle memory right yeah well actually that's scary jose because sometimes my brain will just be like oh let's think about this other thing you did today and i will get through a song and be like i don't remember playing that and that's like terrifying it's terrifying because it you know like my job is also if something happens if an actor misses a verse or if something you know anything happens i have to be so on my toes and ready to be like measure 37 go you know like to communicate to the band you know and and so like you have to be on it you cannot just be like oh lunch was so delicious today you know like you can't you can't do that <laughs> I, was, I mean you've been with the show forever basically so this is the rare show i think that got uh cast recording off broadway and also on broadway so what opportunities like did each version of the album of four for sure for sure I, I felt like for me I could be more exacting with the Broadway album and because it I, you know I, I have I had lived in it for so much longer that there was a lot more that I understood and could shape and we had uh different things happening orchestrationally that I was able to say hey you know there's this opportunity for us to make this feel a little more raw this or a little more balanced or a little more you know any you know the, we just we had that opportunity with the broadway album that maybe we didn't have with the um off-broadway album where we had fewer musicians um so it was just a it was an incredible opportunity and i'm just so so proud of what i'm proud of both of them honestly but this broadway album it just felt so, the process felt so satisfying. I felt like everybody was on the same page, you know, just like, we know this, we know what Michael was trying to say, and we can all execute this. We all come in to do this job. And uh, it just felt really, really good. I mean, now that your album is, you know, like next to uh, so many classic albums that have won 
or have been nominated for the Grammy, like what are some of the most, you know, like out of the canon of like incredible legendary uh, cast recordings, which ones are some of your favorites? So you're like, I can't believe mine's like sitting with all of these guys now. Oh my gosh. I, you know, like there's just, there's so many. I, 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 I grew up on a lot of the old, the, the huge orchestra ones, you know, like the old, the old West Side Story and the old Guys and Dolls and all of those were the ones that in my mind were just like legendary. But then, you know, of the contemporary ones, you know, like Passing Strange and oh my God, Spring Awakening. Like Spring Awakening is actually one of my favorite contemporary musical theater albums that I, that I listen to. Uh, so, you know, if you're thinking of kind of the more rock canon that we fit into, those are the ones that Spring Awakening, Passing Strange. Love those. Is, is there a piece of music or like song that you love that you, uh, I don't know, that's like the most perfect thing that you've heard that you wish that you had either come up with it or that you could pick the brain of the people who, who compose it and who sing it, for instance? Hmm. Well, obviously, Sondheim, it's like, where do you even start? It's, there's, there's too many, there's too many moments. And I think, you know, I have Merrily on my brain because I just went to see it and uh, I can't get those, I cannot get those songs out of my head right now. And just kind of thinking about certain lyrics, I'm just like, ah. and he's got these like triplicate rhymes and each one has such specificity and each one lands so hard. And it's like, that's what you aspire to, that every word and every note has so much specificity in it. I, that's, that's the goal. That's always, Sondheim is, is the goal. Not to but sound like Sondheim. To, to to use the the tools to use this the skill you know yeah right 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 to so like reinvent to like make a new hat basically right um, yeah it's not about mimicry yeah so uh, I love when I saw it on Broadway Strange Loop is uh, a kind of show that also like brings audience members that aren't usually welcome into theater and I wonder if you have like any favorite or very memorable exchanges that you've had with people who've seen the show and then talk to you about what it meant to them. Yeah, the, the reactions are so strong when people come out of the theater. They really feel like they have taken Usher's journey. And I will reiterate that Usher is a fat black queer man. And that when I say everybody has a, you know, like it, it doesn't matter who you are and what your specific demographics are. People, um, people find themselves relating to this character because everybody knows what it feels like to, to not be accepted fully for who you are. And so I have just had people from all walks of life just weep in my arms after the show. And, and then go on to say, you know, this has changed my life and I'm going to think about this in a different way. And I will get messages from, you know, weeks after people have seen the show saying they're still thinking about the show. Um, that's, this is a normal, this is a normal occurrence. Can you talk about what it's like 
to incorporate pieces of your life into a piece like your piece sounding being a tales of a Tatkin. Like I said, I don't know, it's it's I'm always so amazed and so in awe of people like you are the same, like Michael, who bring parts of their lives and put them on stage for people to to just see and to uh, be with. Very brave, I think. It's extremely challenging to 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 not only put your own story and vulnerabilities up in front of people, but in our cases, maybe you're also putting your family members up like that as well. Um, and so that was one of the things that struck me about a strange loop and the way Michael presented his family. And I knew in, in Salamadina Tales of a Afghan that I had not gone there yet. And there were, but I knew I had to. I knew there were certain things that in order to tell the story I wanted to tell about myself, I was going to have to bring in my family. And I love my family very much. I would never want to do anything to hurt my family. So my piece is mostly very comedic, um, fast-paced sketch comedy, sitcom, vaudeville. Like it really moves fast and it's using a lot of different styles. But there are moments where I finally had to say, all right, let's talk about, you know, what coming from like an Afghan or Asian background, what effect that had on my brother who was not able to pursue a career in the arts. Or let's talk about how generationally the women in my mom's Italian family told, told each, each generation, it's your job to be pleasant and be nice and take care of people and not make noise and not take up space. And so to, to tell those kinds of stories, use, you know, using the people that I love and respect the most on the planet, it was tricky. It's, it's, and it remains tricky. Um, I just did a concert of it uh, last month and I was like nervous to share it with them. There were certain elements that they hadn't seen yet. And I, and I was just like remembering when Michael's parents first came to see a strange loop for the first time. And I was so nervous for that. And we all came out into the lobby after just to see their, just to meet them and see their reaction. And all I remember was they were just beaming with pride. They were laughing and they were just in command of the whole space and just overjoyed that they could share that moment with their son. And that moment was something that helped me push through. That they could totally. see a bigger picture, you know, of what Michael was doing. And so they look our kids made a hat, right? Exactly, exactly. I wonder if you could pick, maybe this isn't a fair question because you, you know, you're a musician, but if you could pick an instrument that would be like your motif and like the score of you in the universe, what would that instrument be? Mm -hmm. I, it would have to be, even if you took away words, it would have to be the voice. I think the voice, the way its flexibility, the way it vibrates in our chambers, the way it can evoke any emotion, 
it's the ultimate in vulnerability. It's what it's being able to use it has been one of the biggest challenges of my life, both literally and metaphorically. So that will forever be my, my instrument. That's really beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. What would you share with you know, young people and students who, who don't know that they can share their voice? Like, what would you tell them? Like, how can they go for it? Uh, you know, a strange loop is proof that your story matters and people want to hear it and people can relate to it because you're human and you have a perspective on the world that nobody else does present, future, past. Only you have your perspective. And that makes it beautiful and valid and worth sharing. So um, do you want to tell people where they can, I mean, again, like they can probably just go on the internet, but where can they go see the show? Where can they find the album? And are you doing any performances of your own pieces in the um, upcoming months? Yeah, so come see uh, A Strange Loop at the Lyceum Theater in New York. Uh, we are open until January 15th. So that gives you less than a month. <laughs> so get those tickets. Uh, you're not going to want to miss it. Uh, you can you can buy the album. You can stream it on any of the platforms. Um, and then I have uh, one of my shows is opening at the New Victory in February called Hip Hop Cinderella. So that's also on uh, 42nd Street in Manhattan. So come see that. And uh, yeah, that's, that's what's happening. Well, thank you so much, Rona. Uh, happy holidays and happy new year and break all the legs. Hey, thank you and happy holidays to you. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.